Hello, welcome everyone. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the Shawnee Mission School District Board of Education meeting for October 14th. Our first item on the agenda is our Pledge of Allegiance, and we invite our friends from Neiman to come forward and help lead us in the pledge. Would you please rise? I pledge, pledge Didn't they do a great job? Yeah. We'll go ahead and uh, we'll have them introduce themselves to the microphone and I'll ask someone to help them with the microphone there. Once you go up and we'll introduce ourselves and uh, what grade you're in? Yep. Hello, my name is Isaac Canna and I'm in fourth grade and I'm a Stuco member. Welcome. Hi, my name is Astrid Rupin, and I am in sixth grade. Go member. Hi, my name is Michelle, and I'm in sixth grade, and I'm a Neiman Stuco member. Hi, my name is Zachary. I'm in sixth grade, and I'm a Neiman Stuco member. Hi, my name is Maisie Ridgeway. I'm in fifth grade, and I'm a Neiman Stuco member. Hi, my name is Ari. I'm in fourth grade, and I'm a Neiman Stuco member. Hi, my name is Grant, and I'm in fourth grade. Hello, my name is Giovanni Land, and I'm in fourth grade, and I'm also a Stuco member in Neiman Elementary. My name is William Covington, and I represent Neiman. My name is Riley Dormez, and I'm a Neiman Stuco member. Hello, my name is Lily, and I am a Neiman Stuco member. Thank you all for being here. Good job. And I'm Megan Ellis, and this is Kristen Davidson. We're the Stuco sponsors, and we're so proud of our kids. They did so good, right? Can we give them all a round of applause? That's hard, because this room is packed. Good job, Neiman Student Council. Thank you. Great. Thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Our next item on the agenda is to adopt the agenda for this evening. I'll seek a motion. So moved. Uh, thank you, Mrs. Owsley. And a second. Second. Mrs. Goodburn. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed, nay. And that's past 7-0. Uh, the first item on that agenda is the approval of the minutes of October 14th. So, so moved. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Mack. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. And that is approved 7-0. to zero. We move on to our communication items. And the first item is um, our report for our superintendent. Welcome. Okay, thank you very much, and great to see everybody tonight. The, uh, the communications team has been collecting stories from alumni, staff, parents, and community members in celebration of our 50th anniversary as a unified district. Now, they've uh, created a webpage to share these memories uh, with the public. Tonight, we hear from Don Wilson, former interim superintendent. We'll include a link to the SMSD StoryCorps page in the board recap. Take a look. Um, 
my friend uh, um, and colleague teacher at East, uh, Sydney Steppleworth, um, in her late 20s, um, lost her eyesight and left teaching for a while, but eventually came back to South and became, as far as I know, the first blind teacher to teach in the district. And she was marvelous, and the students loved her. Great, thank you. So we're excited to have these short vignettes uh, to celebrate our history. We also have uh, community forums going on. We've invited community members to learn about district facility planning uh, needs and provide input for the district facilities task force. The district has hosted forums so far at Shawnee Mission East and Northwest High Schools. Tomorrow, Tuesday, October 15th, we'll host a facilities forum at Shawnee Mission West. This is an open house style event where you're free to attend anytime from 5 to 6.30 p.m. If you can't make it tomorrow, we'll have two more forums open to anyone in the community who wants to attend, and we'll include, include a link to all times, dates, and locations in the board recap. But we have some guests here from Corinth Elementary School. In very exciting news, they have been designated an exemplary, high-performing school, winning the National Blue Ribbon School Award for 2019. Corinth Elementary is one of 362 schools in the nation and one of six schools from Kansas to be recognized this year. Exemplary high-performing schools have their state's highest high school graduation rates and the highest achieving students, top 15% in English and mathematics, as measured by state assessments. So congratulations to Chris Lowe, principal, and all the staff and students at Corinth. We now invite you to come forward for recognition, and I think we're gonna do some pictures. Congratulations again to Corinth. The uh, Broadmoor Bistro uh, is going to be hosting a culinary homecoming event. Chef Pablo Munez, a Shawnee Mission Culinary Arts graduate, will return to the Broadmoor Bistro kitchen as a student-run restaurant hosts a culinary uh, homecoming event. As part of the homecoming, Munoz will serve as, chef, as a chef mentor and prepare a five-course meal with culinary arts students to serve as dinner guests. The event will begin at 6 p.m. on Wednesday, October 23rd. We'll include a link for reservations in the board recap, so I encourage you to attend if you can do that. Johnny Mission Early Childhood Education Center students and staff are learning all about their newly announced school mascot, the penguin. <laughs> Helpers from the Kansas City Zoo recently stopped by to provide an in-school field trip and help everybody understand more about the bird. Building and, and strengthening school climate is important 
according to Leanne Neal, Assistant Superintendent for Early Childhood Education and the SMEC principal. Adoption of a school mascot is part of the process of building collective spirit and bringing everyone together to feel pride in their school. So congratulations to SMEC Early Childhood and their new mascot, the Penguin. Seniors across the district are learning this month that they are earning millions in scholarship offers. The Shawnee Mission Education Foundation, <coughs> pardon me, has launched a new program, Scholarship Shawnee Mission. The program seeks to bring college and university scholarship offers to Shawnee Mission seniors. Now, foundation staff and board members are visiting each high school in the district to present more than 1,200 seniors with scholarship offers at an incredible value of millions. I had an opportunity to attend uh, several of those announcement events. And it is really exhilarating to experience uh, this, this uh, opportunity with the seniors. And we really want to thank Kim Hinkle, Executive Director of the Shawnee Mission Education Foundation, and Foundation Program Officer Ed Marquis for this really unprecedented opportunity for Shawnee Mission seniors. So congratulations to them. The uh, Shawnee Mission College Clinic uh, will feature representatives from more than 200 colleges and universities from across the country. They will all be in one place so students and parents have the opportunity to conduct in-person research on various colleges and universities. The clinic is from 6.30 to 8.30 on Wednesday, October 16th at Shawnee Mission East High School. I know this is an incredibly well-attended event, so if you plan to attend, go early because parking is at a premium. Shawnee Mission music teachers are being recognized for their excellence by the East Central Kansas Music Educators Association. Steve Adams, Shawnee Mission South teacher, has been selected as the East Central Kansas Music Educators Association High School Band Teacher of the Year for 2019 and 20. And Paul Shapker, elementary band teacher in the Shawnee Mission South area, is the East Central Music Educators Association Outstanding Younger Teacher of the Year. Congratulations to both of them uh, for their recognition. And then finally for the board, you know, we've had some uh, questions asked of patrons regarding uh, just inquiries, uh, questions that they have about events. And so I want to go through some of those questions and responses for you. Um, one of the questions that we've received, and I know this is of interest to folks in the room, is how much money we've received from the state. And the answer is, is that we expect to receive an additional 9.6 million, that's what's been allocated to us from the state this year, of which 8.3 million actually comes from the state and general state aid. Uh, another question had to do with, uh, that we've received is, uh, is it true that the district is putting 4.5 million of the uh, new money, the 9.6 million, uh, into reserves? And the answer to that is it's an important distinction. Uh, we haven't put any new money into reserves. Since 2001-2002, and this is where it gets specific, we have had a contingency reserve fund that has $5.6 in it. That contingency reserve fund is like an emergency savings account, and we spend that only in cases of emergency, and so that's 
money that continues to be allocated, existing money that continues to be allocated for that purpose. Uh, you may have also noticed in the August budget update that we showed a temporary increase in our ending balance because we've not yet come to a final agreement on salary and benefits for this school year. And so you can get more information on that by going to the budget item from the August 12th, 2019 board meeting. There's a board docs item on that, as you may recall. Um, another question that's come up is how will the addition 9.6 million be spent? Uh, there's approximately 4.9 million that's been set aside for salary increases. The remainder has been allocated for the following areas, professional growth, which is part of compensation, benefits, which is part of compensation, uh, increased instructional staff, that would be teachers, special education, um, social workers, a couple of social workers, and a couple of instructional coordinators. There's also money that was set aside for utility increases, two new buildings that came online, which include the aquatic center, transportation, which is a 3% increase by contract, and then supplies and services. And then finally, another question that has come up is, uh, was it any of the, this money already accounted for in the new budget for this year? And certain costs, such as professional growth, were anticipated in the budgeting process, um, but they are additional costs that they have to be paid for with new money. So those are just a few of the questions that have come up that you might bring how we're responding to those. I report. All right, thank you. Uh, questions from board members about the superintendent's report at all? More time here. So 4.6, 9.6, and then 4.9 is allocated to salary increases, you said? Correct. Thank you. Uh, with that, we will invite Dr. Fulton to provide us a strategic planning update. Hey, well, so as is customary, I'm gonna provide you with a brief strategic planning update. And these are really kind of a prelude to the quarterly updates that, that it will be more comprehensive in scope that you will receive as a board. Um, let me talk a little bit about uh, the focus. We all know that we're really focused on making sure that every child has a personalized learning plan that helps them be college and career ready and gives them the interpersonal skills that they need for life success. That is our destination. The question is, is uh, how do we get there? Well, we have a strategic planning document that uh, serves as a blueprint to chart our course. It's important to take time to study the uh, issues so that we understand the why of things and also make decisions that are sustainable. The strategic planning work is done by a variety of groups. For example, the Board of Education as one group recently passed Policy related to strategy two, creating an equitable and inclusive culture. So that's been your work so far. Uh, we have staff groups, work groups, and district task forces that are being created and are starting to work to address specific action steps identified in our strategic plan. And I'll go through those right now. Staff work groups, as to define them, these are groups that are involved in various aspects of studying, planning, and acting as part of the process related to our strategic planning action steps. Now you can see the different work groups and the specific action step that's cited. Updates from these groups will be provided on a regular basis and any completed studies will be made available on the district website. You know, the work groups involve a representation of staff or in the case of district-wide training, all staff who come together to study, discuss, and explore important ideas 
that impact teaching and learning in ways that help us to achieve our three objectives. As an example, in deep equity training, staff are provided a productive space to freely discuss important ideas, and that is the value of work groups. District task forces are also, also focused on specific action steps identified in the strategic plan. Task force representation typically includes staff, students, parents, and or community members who are representative of the district as a whole. As you recall, we try to get representation from, equal representation from all five high school attendance areas. Now, their meetings are public. Their report with recommendations goes to the superintendent and then the Board of Education if required uh, for consideration of approval. I do want to talk about one of these task forces in a little bit more detail, and that's the Facilities Task Force. We've been doing a lot of work on this. We mentioned earlier the public forums that we're hosting. Uh, and those, when those forums are complete, the district's um, uh, facilities task force will compile the data and provide that information to the superintendent. Based on the data, then a determination will be made on next steps. And there are a number of steps to go through. For example, one of the things that we want to make sure and do is have uh, really good information in front of us to make wise decisions about any potential future bond issue. So this month, the district will release an RFP to conduct a demographic study. That study will provide important information about long-range enrollment projections by school and attendance areas in aggregate, inform future facility capacity by building, and eventually contribute to better understanding on the best path forward to address facility and staffing needs in a fiscally responsible and sustainable way. Now this work is foundational to a more in-depth community conversation on class size, which will inform what is possible from both a facility and financial perspective. So get the data first and then begin to use that data to engage folks around uh, developing paths forward. Once the demographic study is complete, the facilities task force uh, will have an opportunity to work with the data, and, and they've had an opportunity to work with the data, then we'll do a community survey uh, in which we'll ask a series of questions related to facilities and potentially finances. Um, and that will also involve a selection of an outside group to conduct the survey. That will be done through an RFP process. The last time that we conducted a survey like this, I believe, was in around 2014, so we're due for another survey, and this will help inform any next steps in the process. Do I, I'll be happy to answer any more questions. Great, thank you. Questions from board members? Dr. Sinclair. Um, would it be possible to see a draft of that survey before it is sent with opportunity to? I think it'd be possible to see that. A lot of the questions on the survey go, that go out from these uh, firms usually have vetted questions, but absolutely, yeah, we can make that available. It was, yeah, just to get a better understanding of the kinds of, yes, kinds of the topics, kind of sure, yes. sure, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Mrs. Ashley. I just want to um, repeat some of what you just said so that I know that I'm clear on it. We're putting out an RFP to do a demographic study of our buildings, looking at buildings 
where there's overutilization or underutilization, what the capacity is to lower class sizes in some of the buildings where we don't have room for additional classrooms. So we could potentially be looking at redistricting or making sure we have the information we need before we go out for the bond in the spring or when that happens so that we know exactly what it is that we have to address in order to see if what we can do with regards to lowering class sizes. Yeah, that's exactly right. We need to collect this data first, understand the parameter of the work that we need to address. Again, that's what do enrollments look like by building? What's the building capacity? What adjustments might we need to make, whether that's with a facility or attendance areas? As we also then think about putting together a, a financial plan, whether that's related to facilities are operating. And so those are the kinds of, this, this will inform that kind of long range thinking. And you're anticipating we'll get the surveys back and completed from whatever group we hire to do that in the spring, is that? I, I think our goal would be to get all of that work done this year so that we are in a good place to begin to make some decisions about any kind of potential bond issue or budget implications. Do we have a trajectory of what it would look like if we were, if it was feasible to lower class sizes, what that timeline looks like that has been laid out, I think in the strategic plan, but do we know what that timeline is? It's difficult to say because really until we get the data and we understand the scope of the problems that we're trying to solve, um, I'd hate to put an absolute timeline to that. Okay. It's not something you linger on. I mean, once you have the data, and then you can begin to bring people together and start to uh, talk about it, and begin to do some problem solving. Okay. But Thank it's you. but it's complex and it's multi-layered, and we just need to take our time to do it right. Does okay. that, does that okay. answer it? That answers my question. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Okay, I'm going to kind of um, maybe elaborate a little bit more on the line of questioning. I think maybe that was going on here. So when I was asking about looking at the survey, the question for me in the facilities process and the task force and the information that's being collected is where do we have that conversation about how the proposed scope of work that was done meticulously around you know, external evaluators with predetermined criteria, how does all that work relate to our strategic plan? And, and where do we have that conversation to look to see are the facilities that we have meeting the needs of our strategic plan. If indeed we move in one direction around class sizes at the elementary level, there's also a lot of research that talks about the impact of early childhood. Do we need, to, and that's one of the buildings on the, on the, in the plan. So to what degree do we look at early childhood as a community? We have a finite number of resources and a really long list of what we would like to do yeah here in the district that exceeds the amount of dollars we have. And that's the beauty of the strategic plan and the stakeholder process that we engaged in to determine how we're going to use those dollars. And it all relates to the facilities. So I don't know if the survey is going to help with that. And can we embed those questions, or has that become part of a, a larger well, conversation? That's why, sure. That's why you need to do the study first, mm -hmm. because obviously Enrollment projections in a particular building mm -hmm. and any adjustment in class size ratios uh, has an impact on the number of teachers that you would need based on a projected enrollment. That in turn, in turn has uh, facility 
need implications? Do you have enough classrooms? Mm -hmm. uh, are there adjustments that would need to be made to that school physically or boundaries? And so that's step one. Once you get that information, then you could begin to do the financial analysis and ask, okay, this is an idea that we're interested in. What's, what are the logical, uh, you know, what are the financial, sustainable financial considerations that you have to think about to make sure you can do it, uh -huh. uh, whatever the level of standard is that you set. Okay. And, then, um, and then finally, I think that's where the survey comes in. Then you begin to go out and ask the community, well, where are you with these things? What are the priorities? Thank that's you. pretty typical. Yeah, okay. Mrs. Mack? Yes, I just have a quick comment. Um, I was at the Shawnee Mission Northwest Public Forum the other night, and I think most of the people there were seniors who had to be there for their AP government class. <laughs> So I'm, we're I'm glad, glad they were there. I'm glad they were there, and I got to ask them a couple of questions on what they would like to see, which was very informative. But I just I want to make sure that people know that they don't have to go to their feeder pattern public forum. They could go to any of the ones that are coming up, and that information is going to be in the recap. Is that correct? Absolutely. And these forums are important because this is this is the initial stage of going out and getting some feedback from our community. And we're going to use that feedback along with this additional information we're going to collect to decide what the next steps are in a potential bond issue. Thank you. Yes, Dr. And it allows you to talk at every station mm -hmm. with the one-to-one -one with those folks who are kind of right. have some expertise around that. So if you're talking about the HVAC system or the, the hardware for digital learning or the new playgrounds or the elementary settings that each station, you can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with those folks. Yeah, and, and the interior designers. These mm -hmm. students were talking to the interior designers about the mall. And if you've been to Northwest, you know, you've got these clouds <coughs> hanging down. And they were talking about that, how to make that work better. And the students really were, I think they had an impact on the design. So I hope people attend. Mrs. Goodburn. Um, I just had a quick clarifying question to a response you made to Ms. Owsley. And you said that the work would be this year. You mean the school year, not ending in two months, correct? Thank you for that clarification. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're not going to get it done by <laughs> January 1. Okay. No, this, thank you, school this school year. year. Okay, thanks. Yeah. I, I figured. And uh, I, I don't want to put a, a hard and fast date on that because it depends on how quickly we can get the work going and the amount of time it takes for the, uh, the research to be completed. The board member questions. Thank you for the update. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Next up is our board reports. Uh, we have a variety of those, uh, the work taking place uh, from the board. And first up, Mrs. Mack uh, with uh, SMAC PTA. Uh, yes, I attended the uh, SMAC um, general meeting last Monday night. And um, some issues were discussed, but the, the, the big concern were PTAs right now. Um, there is a concern about student directories and the information that is going to be allowed in the student directories about contact information. And SMAC leadership is handling that. But I know Prairie School has its own app, and they've gotten some way around it through their app. So there are different things that different principals in different buildings are doing. But again, that concern should just go directly to SMAC um, leadership. And um, the main thing, the main event was Shelby Reback, the Director of Health Services, discussing about vaping. And I don't want to take away from her presentation tonight, but I was astonished when she said these conversations need to happen in the elementary schools at the fifth and sixth grade level. So I, I hope you all stay around and listen to her. She is, is a great presenter. Thank you. 
Uh, next up, we have uh, Mrs. Owsley with our foundation. Um, so I'm going to give a little bit more information than what Dr. Fulton provided. Um, for folks who have received scholarship offers, I know Northwest has not had their presentation of offers yet. That's next week. But there are three informational settings for those students and their parents to come here at the Center for Academic Achievement on Wednesday, October 23rd, Thursday, October 24th, and Tuesday, October 29th. From 5.30 to 6.15, it will be in English. And from 6.30 to 7.15, it will be in Spanish. And also, just to provide a bit of an explainer, because some folks have asked the question of, well, how are students getting a million dollars worth of scholarships? There are 40 universities participating. And the students' junior year transcripts were provided to the universities if their parents opted them into the program. And so these are representative of multiple offers from multiple universities. So the students received their letter from SMEF saying they have, say, offers from 32 universities. And then within the GEM, the tables are set up for each of the universities, and they can go meet with the universities and get their direct offer letter from the university so they know what the specific offer is from that university. And for some of our students, I know I talked to one um, senior at Norris. She was like, well, I don't really care about any of these because I'm going to K-State, so all I care about is the K-State offer. And as a Jayhawker, I was a little <laughs> upset by that. But for some of our students, it's been just a phenomenal game changer because for some of our students, perhaps, they don't know how to navigate the application system. They don't know, you know what the next step is. They're going into their senior year. They're not sure. And this process basically circumvented the application process. If a student received an offer to university, they're, they're accepted to that university. So we have students finding out that they've been accepted to multiple universities with multiple offers. So they really are entering into their college decision-making process with a lot of choices. Does that mean they get a million dollars? No. It means that they have a real shot at completing a four-year degree, hopefully with um, some financial assistance for a uh, program that's meaningful for them. I know one of the South students, he was so visibly, physically excited, and he was contagious in his excitement. And I asked him about it. He said, you know, I had a plan for these three universities because they have the degree I want, and I just got an offer from all three of these universities. And he's like, I can make my plan happen. And so for that, to be able to see that, that has just been really exciting. And I'm really um, thankful that I got to participate in this and watching it play out for some of our kids. It's just made a world of difference. So thank you to SMEF for that. Great. Agreed. Thank you. Uh, next up is uh, the KASB Board of Directors, uh, Reverend Guy. Over there. There was a roundtable held in Olathe a couple weeks ago. I know Mrs. Zila was there and I was there. I think we were the only two from our board that were there that night. Um, but it was, again, another opportunity for us to sit and have conversations with board members from other schools in our area and hear about the things that they're wrestling with and, and sharing some of our own struggles um, in a group that totally understands what, it's, what the challenges are being a board member. Um, uh, KASB asked us some questions about potential legislative issues, and then we voted via our phones. Um, they're going to pass those along to the legislative committee, so I know Dr. Sinclair will be, will be looking at them on November 2nd, I believe, is your next meeting, because that's our next board meeting. Um, and, um, 
and there was some disagreement in the room about some of these things. And so um, I know later tonight we're going to vote on our delegate at the KSB annual conference. I think it's important that we let our delegate know where we stand on these legislative issues um, to represent us well. Um, but just, yeah, keep your, keep your eyes open and uh, listen for Dr. Sinclair's report after that meeting on November 2nd to see kind of where those legislative issues are, are coming down. Thank you. Good segue, Dr. Sinclair. I, I think Laura's got it for me. We're good. Thank oh, you, Oh, come Dr. on. Gunn. You can elaborate. <laughs> yeah, I have the feedback from all of the, uh, literally, I have the feedback from all of the roundtables across the state, um, and that information has been synthesized, and there's a rough draft of the proposal, the KASB legislative platform that incorporate some of that feedback as well as the work of the legislative committee. We'll come together November 2nd to review that and make our recommendations. Um, the recommendations, it's actually not uncommon to have a little bit of um, differing perspectives. Um, it is interesting to hear though, isn't it? Uh, and um, and uh, there's one more opportunity prior to the December meeting to make any changes which typically don't happen. but. We do have one more opportunity after the November 2nd meeting if there's something this board wants to weigh in on. All right. Okay. Thank you. And in, in between now and then, we'll be working on our own legislative platform yes. as well. Yes. All right. Thank you. I'll turn to Mrs. Goodburn for an update on our policy review committee. Sure. Our committee met on Thursday, October 10th, and we started with reviewing the policies that are personnel related in Section G of our policy manual. Um, we're uh, GAAA, Equal Opportunity. Equal Employment Opportunity, GAAB, Complaints of, of Discrimination, GAAC, Sexual Harassment, and GAACA, Racial and Disability Harassment. And we will bring these forward, uh, like I mentioned in the, um, in the past, um, for at our last board meeting of the month, which is, I think, October 28th, for consideration. All right. Thank you for the update and the work of that committee. Appreciate that. Uh, we'll move on to item 2.04, and that's uh, the opportunity for public comment tonight. We have several folks that have submitted their name for comments, and so I'll read the brief uh, description of the process, and we'll invite our guests forward. Um, the reminders are that the uh, speakers have a constructive and positive experience by presenting their comments to the board by walking through some of these following steps. When making your remarks, please proceed to the podium when your name is called and share your name, city of residence, what schools, your children may attend, if applicable, in the name of any group organization you all might you also might be representing. Tonight, we'll limit comments to three minutes, and Mrs. Wintering will have that on the screen for us tonight. Uh, in consideration of everyone's time, um, if there's a group of folks, if you could select a group spokesperson to represent your interests, or you may pass if somebody else has already made the comments that you also plan to make. Um, written comments and materials are accepted and uh, should be provided to the board clerk. We ask that you have uh, eight copies for distribution to the, to the board and to the superintendent. Again, reminder, please make your comments behind the podium. And um, any complaints regarding staff or students should first be addressed with the administration according with board policy KN complaints. If that procedure has been completed, the board will consider whether to hear the complaints in executive session in order to protect privacy interests of students and or staff involved. When comments pertain to an item on the meeting's agenda, the board president may ask the superintendent or designee to address those comments at that time or when it is time when the item is up for board discussion later in the meeting. And I'll ask that uh, all 
Oh, generally responses from board members during public comment will be limited to clarifying questions. And so I do ask that all speakers stay with the podium if there's any clarifying questions from board members. And with that, uh, first up, we'll invite John Shu. John, come on forward. Welcome. Hello. First, thank you all for allowing me to take a couple of minutes tonight. Um, I am uh, I'm here for a very specific reason. Um, I'm a Overland Park resident. My grandchildren all go to Brookridge. Um, love the school. Uh, I'm here because I'm selfish. Um, I want the best for my grandchildren. You know, the rest of y'all can come along, but um, my wife and I both volunteer at the school, and we do what we can to support our grandchildren as well as all the children there. My grandchildren love attending school, and they get great support from their teachers, their parents, and their staff at the school. One thing I'm not capable of is teaching them all. I've got a sixth grader, a fourth grader, and a first grader with special needs. Not in my skill set. Um, so I rely on the board and the district administration to recruit, hire, and train and support the best teachers out there to help my grandchildren develop it into the best adults they can be. And then I don't want to talk about that support part. My grandchildren's class sizes are 6th grade 24 students, 4th grade 25 students, 1st grade 21 students. My concern is the class sizes of 24 and over. While I'd love to be able to have you all teach my grandchildren one-on-one, -on -one, I know that's not realistic. But class sizes as high as these in elementary places an undue burden on teachers. But the current strategic plan as I read it indicates the task force will, quote, analyze the feasibility to reduce class sizes across all grade levels with a due date of Q3 2021 school year. To me, that means in January of 2021, the district will decide if plans can be made to actually reduce class sizes. If the answer is yes, then those plans have to be created. I appreciate the superintendent's report and what you're doing. It appears you're trying to move this forward. Hallelujah. Um, because let's be generous and say it takes two years to actually get those plans solidified. Then there's the budget cycle, which pushes it three more years. That means my sixth grade granddaughter will be graduating before this is implemented. With that timeline, the district... <laughs> With that timeline, the district may lose many fine teachers. This year, there are teachers working for less than they were, they, what they were paid last year due to the stipend that was paid in 2018-19. I'm just confused how the state received the $9.6 million and, bu and bumped the base raise from 0.75 to 1%. Um, I, I, and again, that's my read of the numbers. Um, and as you pointed out, please don't put money in reserve. It's like saving money to replace the roof in five years while the house is on fire. So please distribute more of the current fund to the education staff. Thank you, Mr. Shu. We appreciate your comments today. Thank and you. I, Do any board members have any questions for Mr. Shu? Okay. As I said, I'm selfish. That's all right. Thank you for being here. Next, we invite Lucas Starforth. Might need a little administrative support here. 
go ahead to the go ahead to the podium, and Mr. Smith will help you out here. There we go. Welcome, Lucas. Welcome. Hello, my name is Lucas Starforth. I'm a fourth grader at Brookridge Elementary in Overland Park. I'm speaking here for my first grade brother and I. My brother and I love our schools and all of our teachers. My first grade teacher is awesome because he's really funny and it makes it fun to learn. My third grade teacher is also awesome because it, she made it easier for me to learn. My music teacher is great because she helps me learn new songs and how to play the recorder. My brother's, my brother's special education teacher and parents are incredible and, and they help him learn and he is learning because of how hard they are. Parker is glad that they help him. My brother loves his kindergarten and first grade teachers because they make sure he's included. My brother and I love, love, go to, love going to school to learn new things because of all of our teachers work hard. Now it's time for teachers to give appreciation and support from, to the, from the grown-ups in Shawnee Mission. In my fourth grade class, there's 25 students. Sometimes it can be hard for my teacher because oh, all the students need help. Our class feels cramped because of all the students and desks. Sometimes I have to raise my hand for a really long time <laughs> because there's so many kids to get to. I think that teachers are working hard as they, working as hard as they can no matter what. Where am I? <laughs> they care for us and support for us. Now it's time to help support them by making classes smaller. All grown-ups should give as much support as teachers give the students. I went to rallies with my, with my mom after she walked to Topeka to help school, schools get more money. I knocked on doors and walked in parades for my state representative and he helped me get Shawnee Mission more money. I knocked on doors and delivered yard signs for, for board members and that promised me and my brother they would, they would support teachers in schools. I am still hoping for more of that to happen. T support teachers and you're supporting me and my brother. Thank you for your time and Brookridge rocks. Thank you, Lucas. Thank you, Lucas. Uh, next up, Heidi Walker. Welcome. I have to follow him? Man, okay. My name is Heidi Walker. My husband and I have three children. We have a sixth grader at Marion Park, an eighth grader at Hawker Grove, and a ninth grader at Shawnee Mission North. I also teach science at Hawker Grove, where we are lucky to live less than a mile and a half from all three of our kids' schools. I'm a proud K-12 student of Shawnee Mission Schools. As a kid, I wanted to make some of my own money, so I began babysitting. I decided I wanted to charge $2 per hour per kid, because I felt that seemed reasonable and also seemed lucrative. When I told my mom about my rates, she told me it was ridiculous. As the oldest of six kids, we didn't have babysitters a lot, because it was me. So she explained to me we couldn't afford to pay that rate, and I didn't think other parents could either. So I settled for whatever I was paid. Fast forward a few years to high school. I wanted to be a lawyer. 
then a police officer, then in the public relations industry. After my freshman year, I realized I missed kids, so I went into education. I know it's my calling, the reason that I'm on this earth. I student taught in KCK, began my career in Leavenworth, taught in the Philippines with the Peace Corps, and taught a year in DeSoto. But I always wanted to get back to Shawnee Mission. I made my way back in 2005. At the time, Shawnee Mission not only touted the achievements of students, but also its high pay as a way to attract teachers. I began my career at South Park Elementary with a whopping 14 students in my fifth grade class. I had an hour of plan time every day. I got a stipend to buy posters, bulletin boards, cute supplies. Fast forward 10 more years to 2015. We had three kids of our own. I earned my master's degree in special education. South Park closed and merged with Merriam. Financial times were tough with Brown back in office. Salaries were frozen, money was tight, and aides were lost. But the kids kept coming. I had 25 in my class. Teachers knew times were tough, and so we made do, because that's what we do best. Research said hands-on learning, makerspaces, STEM were best for kids, so I wrote grants, got the kids Legos, robots, scoured Craigslist for supplies. I took courses to help me be a better teacher for kids from lower SES backgrounds. I completed positive behavior support training and became a trainer, because it was best for kids. In 2017, I moved to middle school. I work 20 more minutes a day on the same contract. I have had 29 students in classes. This year, 172 little people sit in my classroom throughout each and every day, 172. My planning period is 50 minutes. I teach six sections of co-taught science and have a homeroom every day. I have 45 minutes contract time before I get students in the morning, I'm sorry, 15, and 20 minutes after school. During that time, I need to plan differentiated lessons for students with reading levels as low as first grade, fill out student data sheets, plan formative and summative assessments, find additional supplies to teach new next generation science standards, attend IEP meetings, make parent contact, meet with my fellow science teachers, make my room warm and inviting, meet with other content area teachers about students we share, grade student work and respond to emails. That is what's required of me in my contract. And right now I do that for 2017 pay, while raising a family paying 2019 prices. I do those things without a substantive raise in five years. But ask a student, those contract requirements are not what they remember about a teacher. It's, what they, it's, it's relationships, and we know that. Contracts are not what makes a difference. Relationships research shows this. I will watch your son play basketball, see him in a play, come to your daughter's dance recital, receive a baby announcement. And for my students, I will be delighted to come to your graduation party, bridal shower, receive a baby announcement, and write job references, coach cross country. I will listen when you cry about your parents' divorce, help you through a breakup, help you choose your quinceanera dress, come to your father's funeral, support your mom at your funeral. Mrs. Walker, could you wrap up? Yep. Thank you. And I and hundreds of other teachers will do this because it's what's best for kids, while their own families watch on, learning about love and dedication and hard work, knowing that sometimes we care more about our school kids than our own kids. And maybe if they're like my kids, they're proud, but also a little bit bitter. So when the state gave our district $9 million, I thought I would finally see the raise so many of us have been waiting for. I'll skip this. So I think back to my first job, babysitting. Things are a lot different. I'm not 13 anymore, and I'm not going to settle and be happy with what I get. Although $2 per hour would be $175,000. I don't want your appreciation, and I don't want admiration. I want your respect. Thank you, Mrs. Walker. We appreciate your comments. Returning to the board with any questions? No questions. Thank you. And next, we invite Don Dugan. Hi there. My name is Dawn Donegan. I live in Overland Park. I have two daughters. I live in the South Attendance area, and I'm here to represent myself as a teacher and any other teachers 
because I feel I deserve a raise. So who am I? I'm a wife of 21 years, a mom of 18 years, a teacher for 26 plus years, and a warrior since birth, 51 years. Why am I here? To formally address you. I'm gonna present you with my resume. It shows my commitment to the field of education, but more so, my commitment to Shawnee Mission. We collectively as a district have a problem. We're at a gridlock for many reasons. The education arena does not see us as having the reputation of excellence we used to have. That's a problem. Now that we have a strategic plan that's written, what is your strategy? Shawnee Mission seems to find money when it needs it. The old argument, well, that's capital outlay, or that's the operating budget, are things we've heard way too many times. Do you have an action plan to look at how you build morale with all of your employees? Do you believe, do you believe in the equity that you are displaying to the public? The state of Kansas has put you in a position to make great change. $9.6 million? How will you use it? Will you build up reserves and then tell us, we have no money for curriculum? Will you put it into areas and later say, no money for that? The warrior in me has some thoughts. What successful general ever sent soldiers to the front line without every available resource, no matter the cost? I am your front line. Five days a week for 26 years. I serve alongside fierce, brave warriors each and every day. The message that I'm receiving is very loud and clear. I don't matter. I'm not important. I can be replaced. Paying me isn't worth that resource. Visiting a staff meeting and telling me I'm valued is now patronizing. Receiving a letter during Teacher Appreciation Week with a message that teachers matter is an oxymoron. When will the light shine for you? When will you look at the quality of teachers you have? Will you have to lose them all? Will we start clocking in and out and give you the bare minimum? Because that can be done. What will that do to Shawnee Mission? Will that help your students, your parents, your test scores, or our district's reputation? Do you have the courage and vulnerability to do what's right, even though it's not easy? When will you support your warriors on your front line? I invite you to stand beside me in the arena, not outside of it, but first, you have work to do. All staff, certified, classified, are worth your money because we are your best investment. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Board members, have any questions for Ms. Dunning? Yes, Mrs. Owsley, go ahead. Miss. I'm going to just ask a follow-up question really quick. You betcha. Um, are you aware that there is not any dollars going into the reserve fund at this time? Absolutely. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. Thank you. But it's also not going to our salaries. Well, but, so may I ask another follow-up yeah. question? Um, there are budget presentation workshops on the May 13th board meeting in board docs and also on the August 12th in board docs. The May 13th has slide presentations in the budget workshop, not in just the budget mm -hmm. overview, but in the workshop. And it goes over line by line mm -hmm. where the money was spent. I'm just clarifying to see if you were familiar with that. Absolutely. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Next up, Lisa DeBay.
Welcome. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Lisa DeBay. I live in Mission, Kansas and have an eighth grader at Hawker Grove Middle School and a junior at Shawnee Mission East. I'm in my 23rd year as a classroom teacher at the middle school level, the last 20 years here in Shawnee Mission. I'm here tonight to ask the board to support the teachers of Shawnee Mission. Over the last several months, it's been hard to hear many of the comments coming from district staff in regards to teacher negotiations. However, I feel it's important to point out that those district staff, staff represent you. Each of you sitting here tonight has the ability to support those of us working diligently every day for students of Shawnee Mission School District. This Friday will be the second pay period in which I'm earning less than last year due to the, our inability to reach an agreement with NEA Shawnee Mission. The district has misrepresented the proposed 3.22 overall increase in spending as a raise for teachers. In reality, the final compensation proposal from the negotiation team was for a 1% increase to the base salary, effectively holding pay stagnant for many teachers who only received a one-time 1% stipend during the 2018-19 school year. Under the district's proposal, 42% of teachers would be earning less this year than last. Sadly, this is not an isolated event. In fact, over the last 10 years, my contract pay has increased only $4,310. Over that period of time, the consumer price index has increased 19.7%, meaning my pay would have had to increase by $11,500 over the same time to remain equitable. This $7,200 deficit is compounded by the fact that both my husband and I have decided to make our careers in Shawnee Mission School District. We have lost almost $15,000 in spending power in the last 10 years. We tried to fill the void by working supplemental contracts, summer school, and outside part-time jobs. However, additional work and shrinking pay is not sustainable. I heard talking about increased utility costs. We have those too, but our pay isn't keeping track. It is also important to note that over the same 10-year period, the expectations and workload for teachers in Shawnee Mission has increased. When I began teaching in Shawnee Mission, there were true middle schools with teams. Teachers met daily for one class period to support children. The time to meet with counselors, administration, special education staff, and parents was invaluable. This was in addition to the teacher's plan period. Probably the most startling difference is teachers are now responsible for drastically more students. I recall one year our team at Mission Valley served 104 students. This year, I am personally responsible for assigning 149 students a grade. Some colleagues have closer to 180 students a day. 150 to 180 students with diverse needs and dwindling time. I currently have about 90 seconds of plan time a week for each student. I am not alone in believing our or I am not alone in believing that our students deserve more and our teachers deserve more. I urge you to support the dedication, effort and hard work of Shawnee Mission teachers with a fair contract that addresses lagging pay and improved teacher workload. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Any board members have any clarifying questions? All right. Thank you. Steve Laird. Steve, welcome. Hello, uh, my name is Steve Laird, um, and I live in Overland Park, Kansas. I stand before you today not as a teacher at Shawnee Mission East High School, or as a member of NEA Shawnee Mission, or even as a member of this community, but rather as an advocate for the students in this district, 
15 years ago, I decided to dedicate my life to making a difference in my community by helping children. And that is why, I stand, that is why I'm speaking here tonight, to stand up for the students in this district. For the past several years, every secondary teacher in the district has been required to teach six sections except in the rarest occasion. The standard in the metro area in surrounding districts is five sections. That means that the typical secondary teacher in Shawnee Mission has roughly 17 seconds during a planned period to devote to each of their students. That is not as what is best for kids. There is no educational reason to have such a policy. In fact, all educational data points to smaller class sizes and less teacher workload resulting in one of, if not the, best boost to student achievement. Simply put, there is no reason to have a policy like this beyond a financial one. Luckily though, uh, there, is more, there is more than enough money coming in this year to fund the district's roughly $2 million estimate cost to switch from six to five. This switch is what is best for kids, period. I implore this board to do what is best for the students and support moving high school teachers from six to five sections. Because at the end of the day, you guys are on this board, we went into education because we love kids and we wanna do what is best for kids. And reducing teacher workload at the secondary level is doing what is best for kids. I yield my time to someone else who needs more. Thank you, Mr. Laird. Does anyone have any questions? No questions. Thank you very much. Uh, Erica Franz. Come back. My name is Erica Franz. I'm an Overland Park resident, and I'm deciding to postpone my, the comments that I had planned to share this evening because I want to honor the teachers in the room and the message that they've been delivering tonight. And I just want to end by saying, please invest in our teachers. Thank you very much. Kim Whitman. I live in Overland Park and I have two children at Trailwood Elementary. Also going to table what I plan to share tonight in order not to distract from the teacher's message. I fully support the teachers. The digitally wise parents fully support the teachers. I applaud their courage for speaking tonight. Teachers, thank you for pouring yourself into our children day in and day out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for being here today. We appreciate the time that you've taken out of your day to share your comments with us, and it's greatly appreciated. I'll turn to Dr. Fulton if he has any other comments regarding the speaking tonight. No, I just thank you for coming out tonight and sharing your thoughts, and I know the board uh, hears that, listens to it, and we all take it very seriously. Thank you. Move on to discussion items. That's item 3.01, and uh, it's the Jumpstart Program Evaluation. Dr. Fulton? Yes, uh, I'm going to have Dr. Hubbard and uh, Dr. Neal come up and provide an overview of our Jumpstart program. Thanks for the opportunity to share um, data on Jumpstart. As you all know, we started the Jumpstart program in 2014, and I believe we served approximately about 45 kids then. And this past summer, uh, we had about 300 incoming kindergartners that we served through Jumpstart. So I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Neal, who is the um, Assistant Superintendent for Early Childhood, and Dr. Grumman. Director of Assessment and Research. Thank you. Good evening. 
Board President Stratton, members of the board, Dr. Fulton, and everyone, uh, everyone assembled here this evening, um, it is our pleasure to come and share with you information and an update about the Jumpstart for Learning program. I shared with you some thank yous from the students and staff members from this past summer at Jumpstart for Learning. Um, so take a look at that. They wanted to be sure that you had that thank you for investing in their program. Um, as you know, um, Jumpstart to Learning started in 2014. It is a three-week summer program uh, for incoming kindergarten students. You can see the objectives here. We have, um, while we focus on early literacy and numeracy, some of those foundational incoming kindergarten readiness skills, we also focus importantly on school routines and helping students to transition. That's particularly important, and I think if you um, look through the data and the information, what you would find not only from parents but also from staff members is it's really that social, emotional, and those routines where they see the most growth um, and the value. Because many of our students coming in, while many of them come to us um, to our pre-K programs or some of our early childhood programs at the Early Childhood Center or some community programs, many of our students may um, arrive at kindergarten with that being their first formal um, opportunity for schooling. And so Jumpstart to Learning um, allows them some grace to come in, um, a shortened window for the day for that program to begin those important relationships, and not just the relationships for students, but also the relationships with families. We'll talk a little bit more about that later in the presentation. So here you can see um, our enrollment. Um, we started um, very humbly with 46 students in 2014. We grew um, in 2018 where uh, you might recall that we had a large grant from the Early, Fund, Early Childhood Funders Collaborative um, that allowed us to be at 20 sites. This last year, um, we were actually serving students at 16, from 16 school sites, and we served 298 students, so just short of 300 students. And over the past five years, we have had the opportunity to impact the lives of more than 1,400 incoming kindergarten students. The, to give you a picture of the enrollment of the student group, and, and there are some years where we choose to combine lots of groups of students. This year we happen to have a very large enough substantial size group that we're able to share uh, the demographics from, from, um, from just this particular year. But of the, uh, there are 271 students from that original Jumpstart jump start group that enrolled in kindergarten this year. So there are some students that uh, maybe moved during the school year. So 90-95% um, of the students enrolled in kindergarten and were, were still with us on September 20th. And here you can see the demographic makeup of the Jumpstart group compared to the demographic makeup of the, of the kindergarten students on, on, uh, on September 20th. So you can see that, uh, for example, approximately half the students in, in the Jumpstart group were, were non-white. Uh, approximately half were uh, receiving free or reduced lunch compared to the kindergarten class uh, with 31 uh, percent. There's a higher proportion of ELL students and a, and a, and a higher proportion of students with disabilities. So um, it, the, the program serves a, a very diverse uh, group of students and, and, uh, and, uh, and often uh, students who have some at-risk characteristics. If we look at uh, each year in May, and then with the Jumpstart group again in July, there is a, uh, a screener uh, that we provide to students that has a variety of questions in there. For example, students have to um, uh, name their colors, um, numbers, counting, those sorts of things in there. Um, and shapes. And shapes. Uh, so a variety of, uh, of skills that, that, that an incoming kindergartner 
um, uh, should know or should be able to know and do by the when they're when they're entering. Um, and then we have a have a homegrown composite score that we use where the highest score is approximately 45 or 46 points. So these graphs show the growth of each of the cohorts from, from the last four years. Um, and as you can see, with the exception of that 2017 cohort, um, they, they're all showing um, a substantial amounts of growth um, over the over the jumpstart period, the 2017 data collection they, they started lower, but they still ended um, with with a with a similar kind of trajectory. So um, they're they're all making fantastic growth over that over that three week time period. Uh, this data looks at uh, Dibbles, an early literacy assessment that students take at the beginning of kindergarten. Uh, the thing to note about the Dibbles assessment, or it's currently named Acadiance Learning, is that this assessment is administered one-on-one. -on -one. So when we kind of think about uh, student engagement and relationship between the teacher and the student, and when you have a one-on-one -on -one, um, uh, assessment, you you know, you you need the student to be able to respond. Uh, in this case, uh, to a, like a first sound fluency assessment, um, and and so some of this uh, uh, data can also speak to the relationship between the teacher and the student, and the student's willingness to respond at that point in the year. Um, if we look at all students who participated in JumpStart compared to the non-JumpStart uh, group. Um, uh, as we've seen before, that the Jumpstart group is a, is, tends to have a higher concentration of at-risk students, and that uh, kind of appears in the at, in the all students group. But if we um, if we look at our students who receive free and reduced lunch or English language learners group, the students who received uh, Jumpstart support are coming into kindergarten with um, with higher rates of of, uh, of uh, early literacy skills walking in the door. Um, another group that we uh, have historically been looking at as as a, a group that's has been at risk in a number of our, of our data sets as our black or African American student group, and you can see that comparison as well. There are some years where the where the where the um, there's there's a over the course of time the those student groups that comparison has sometimes been the same. Sometimes the JumpStart students um, uh, are are equivalent, but um, but you can see what this particular group did this time. If we look at NWA MAP data, which is another, uh, in this case, a literacy assessment, but it, the the, uh, the assessment is, is administered online. Uh, so for many of our, our kindergarten students, they're, t they're taking an online assessment. Uh, there are a lot of listening skills because there's a, there's audio in this in this um, in this particular assessment. But you can see how students are performing. Um, JumpStart students compared to the students who did not participate in JumpStart among each of those groups. Um, in particular, students who receive free or reduced lunch and English language learner students who participate in a JumpStart are, are, are performing uh, slightly better than the students who, uh, in those same groups who are not participating in JumpStart. And these are the results for, for early numeracy. Uh, the results for, um, for those free and reduced English language learner groups are similar. Um, so it's, uh, it's not, as, um, not as consistent with the, with the, uh, with the math group, but um, the, the, the performance is similar. They're not vastly different. Um, one of the things to point out is, is um, considering the differences in the demographic groups and the higher concentration of at-risk students, it is interesting to see that among the all-student group that are considered on or above grade level, the, the, the 80 and 86 percent, those percentages are really not very far apart um, when you think of, the, of the, the demographic differences between those groups. 
So as I mentioned, intentional opportunities for early engagement with parents and families is a real hallmark and uh, centerpiece of the development of the Jumpstart to Learning program. And so as you can see, those are some pictures. Um, we had them on the seat of their, or on the edge of their seats there for um, the puppet show experience. Every child had an opportunity through that to ride a school bus and to attend a field trip. Again, learning routines and expectations for school events that they will practice them later on. Um, our schools also, our school sites did a great job um, of engaging with partners. The picture there of the um, uh, reading the book, that was a partnership with the Johnson County Library, uh, and that occurred at many of our school sites. Um, we invited parents in um, for activities at least one per week, and so those typically, you had a welcome, you had a celebration at the end, you typically had a literacy uh, and a numeracy event or STEM activity. We also invited partners from the K-State Extension Office um, to come in and talk about being responsible pet owners and just some different activities to really engage the students. Nelson um, Atkins came in and did some great um, art, art and visual learning and, and th creative thinking um, activities with our students as well. Part of the parent feedback, um, to try to gauge and to get an, a sense from the parents of what their experience and what their takeaways were in terms of the benefits of the Jumpstart to Learning program. We had a, a survey. We had about 40% of our families who um, responded to the survey. And you can see there, overwhelmingly, um, they indicated their children enjoyed Jumpstart. Um, we also, this year, asked them to share with us if they saw some growth socially uh, and emotionally in their students. And 82.5% of those respondents indicated yes, that they did. Um, a, a, a pretty strong theme, whether it was the parent feedback or the teachers and administrative intern feedback, was really around the development of confidence within the students um, and building that knowledge of school routines and those skills of independence. And um, I talked about that earlier, but that really, those, those come out to be really, really strong. We also had high percentages of um, satisfaction around communication. Again, developing those relationships with families early um, is an extremely important component of the program. And finally, um, we could not have had Jumpstart to Learning this year had it not been for the investment of the school district um, through Title I funding, but also through our um, partners at the Shawnee Mission Education Foundation, and they also helped connect us with some really important funding from the Hall Family Foundation. So um, you can see um, some of our partners came and visited some of the classrooms. We appreciate their generosity, and following this evening, we wanted to share the report with you first, but we have some thank yous, and we'll include a copy of the data report um, to those partners as well as an accountability of the programming for this, this school year. At this time, we will stand for any questions you may have. Great. Thank you. Board members have questions. Yes, Mrs. Zila. I'm just wondering about the sustainable funding. I know we go through the Education Foundation and the grants that you um, mentioned here and stuff. Are we on a trajectory of hanging on to some of that grant money and those backers for this program? So certainly I would say that the Shawnee Mission Education Foundation has um, invested in Jumpstart since its inception. Um, again, there's not a guarantee that um, the Education Foundation nor um, partners like Hall Family, um, those are asks that we make on an annual basis um, for those grant funds. Thank you. Dr. Sinclair. Um, 
thank you for the evaluation. I, I don't know who my question's for. Is it possible to take the analysis one step further? Um, I just think it's a pretty powerful result uh, of the kind of growth that we've seen in the Jumpstart students to look at a match sample. Like my expectation would be that we probably have a pretty, could have a potentially powerful effect size if you were to do a match sample. Analysis, the only reason why I ask is if, if we're showing impact in bringing kids with significantly greater kindergarten readiness to the classrooms of our elementary school teachers, it's making that classroom environment more functional, it's minimizing the gap before we get started, it's aligned with the state standards, it's aligned with our district standards. And I mean, this is a pretty unique opportunity to really understand what our data is. So a year ago, us. right, right. So um, so a year ago, I did something similar to what uh -huh. you were suggesting. Um, that that um, if you're thinking about statistical significance, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. was not appearing in the data. And, even with the match sample. Even with the match sample, when you're trying to control for the other background characteristics. Okay. Um, it, so we're it not just, getting the impact. It's it wasn't necessarily yeah it, uh, to get a, a p-value below. 0.05. It's just that part wasn't showing up. Okay. Um, some things were close, but um, it's it's the um, some of those background characteristics are very difficult to, um, um, I guess, fight back against. And there are some other characteristics that we're not able to capture, like um, uh, some parental backgrounds and things like that, which which might also help inform some of the uh, some of the data. Okay. So, Thank you. Yeah. Other board members. I've yes, Mrs. Just Zilla. one more question. This is probably a Dan Grumman question. I don't know, but um, we've had five years of this program. Are, are we tracking these kids as they move through school then, or is it? I'm seeing kindergarten numbers and how they how they are doing in kindergarten. Right. So there. Um, and again, I'm a reference that some some study that I did last year and, and looked a year or two down the road, I believe. And at some point, um, you know, the purpose of the program, of course, is 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 to look at. Kindergarten really, readiness. kindergarten readiness, right? right? Preparing for that first day. Um, so, yeah, the the effects. Um, what we'd find is over the course of a year or two years, the effects of a a three week pro, three week program um, really start to get washed out um, because the, there's you know it's not necessarily the length of the intensity um, uh, that that you have, for example, with a pre K program where we can we can see some effects a little further down the road. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Other questions? Thank you for the update. Yep. Uh, next up is item 3.02, and uh, that's the discussion on vaping lit litigation. Um, with that, I'll turn to Dr. Fulton. Yes, and uh, Dr. Atha, I think, is going to cue this one up. Yeah, uh, Shelby Rebeck, uh, our Director of Health Services, was appointed to the e-cigarette and vaping task force established this year by the Kansas Board of Education. She has some uh, very important public health information to share related to vaping before you consider approval of the vaping litigation resolution later this evening. And Shelby is very passionate about this subject. She talks to me regularly about this subject <laughs> and has educated me over a very short amount of time. Thanks for coming this evening, Shelby. Thank you, members of the board. Thank you, Dr. Fulton, for allowing me to speak tonight. Thank you, Patty, for the nice comments earlier. I only hope I can live up to those comments here tonight. Uh, as we begin conversations related to the vaping epidemic and its effects on our students and staff, I'd like to share with you information that I've been presenting around the district and in our community. 
As you may know, e-cigarettes and Juul devices use a battery-powered device to heat cartridges containing highly addictive liquid nicotine and or flavorings known as juice. The liquid is turned into an aerosol and inhaled into the lungs where it enters the bloodstream. These devices look like an elongated flash drive and can be charged by plugging into a laptop computer. Skins or wraps can personalize the device, making them more appealing to our kids. And you can purchase these devices uh, for $50 or less, $15 for a four-pack of flavored cartridges. And these can be purchased on Amazon with a click of a button that says, yes, I'm 18. Juul owns 80% of the e-cigarette market, and Altria, a big tobacco company, owns 35% of Juul. There are serious questions surrounding Juul. Their advertising and marketing strategies, specifically targeting our youth, their patent application information presenting the amount of nicotine delivered per inhalation for maximum nicotine delivery, which equals maximum addiction. The flavored juice, the mango, the bubble gum, the fruit medley, that's very appealing to our kids. And instead of just inhaling that nicotine flavor, they get that palatable um, sugary flavor. So when Juul first came out, I, like many of you, heard that it was a way for adults to quit the tobacco combustible cigarettes. But here's one of the first ads that came out. It was a Juul launch party. It included a rock band, free product, and social media influencers, including celebrities. Here's another advertisement. And again, this is not geared toward an adult. All of these clearly are geared toward our teens. Between 2017 and 2018, e-cigarette use increased 48% in our middle schoolers and 78% in our high schoolers. 35% of all students admit to vaping on a regular basis. As of October 11th, there were 29 vaping-related deaths and more than 1,500 CDC-confirmed or suspected cases of vape-related lung disease from 17 to 17, from 17 to 72 years old. One-third of those kids are under the age of 21. The symptoms of this lung disease include shortness of breath, chest pain, fatigue, cough, and vomiting. No lung infection is detected, therefore antibiotics don't work. Steroids are the main treatment. Patients are typically placed on oxygen and ventilators, and no single device or additive has been identified. These lung cross-sections look like chemical burns. I've heard it uh, related to World War II chlorine gas burns. Thus far, 42 chemicals have been identified in electronic cigarettes, and I just listed here the ones that research has proven are harmful to our health, and then I listed those in red that are found in secondhand vape. So I get that question all the time, is this dangerous, the secondhand vape, and that answer is yes. But it's the nicotine that keeps them coming back. It chemically promotes the physical addiction to nicotine and the addiction pathways in the brain. Without nicotine, our kids, while they're at school, are feeling cravings, they're jittery, anxious, and irritable. 
Our kids are telling us they literally cannot make it through the school day without vaping due to this addiction. And many of our students are telling us that they're waking up in the middle of the night, that craving they have to go vape. So the medical community has not kept up with the addiction. So nicotine patches and gum were never meant to be prescribed to our youth. So now we have physicians in this situation where what do we do? Do we prescribe it to our youth when it's really not supposed to be? And then our families are strapped with the addiction counseling expenses. And then we have a whole generation of kids with a propensity for future addictions. While we do have limited resource for cessation assistance, these resources have not kept pace with the addiction. And I'm just going to point out, too, on this slide, the Truth Initiative. It's tailored messages via text giving age-appropriate quitting advice to teens. And then In-Depth, which was just uh, released a few weeks ago by the American Lung Association in response to nicotine dependence of our youth. I'll stand for questions. Questions from board members? Yes, Mrs. Zila. I have heard that teachers have said that they are kids, there's ways of kind of hiding the vaping devices, if you will, in the classrooms and they can vape during school. Like you said, they can't go the entire day without that. Is that become an issue within our classrooms as well? Absolutely. So the elongated flash drive can fit in the palm of your hand. They're also making clothing that are vape friendly, so it can be in the in a hoodie. You can take a puff of it and then literally just blow it into your hoodie or um, into a flap. And it's, it's water vapor. It's, so it just dissipates. Right. It doesn't linger in the air as a combustible cigarette. So would. a teacher would probably not be aware of that you'd unless they were looking ne- right at them. You'd have to be looking directly at them. Right. Thank you. Other questions from board members? Yes, Dr. Sinclair. Just to comment, I appreciate the work you've been doing. It's thank you. Rapid fire response required, whether we have all hands on deck or not. So thank you. Yes, absolutely. Anyone else? And I have to make this clarifying question. These are none of our students in these pictures. <laughs> no, correct. Thank you. All right. Thank you for that update. We move on to item 3.03, and uh, it's a discussion on district committees. Um, as, a, as a quick point of reference, though, uh, later in the meeting, there is action being taken um, on a, a proposal regarding the last presentation. So I just want to let you know that we'll pick that back up again later in the meeting. Um, well, now a discussion about district committees. So in Dr. Fulton's report, he outlined some definitions around some of the work that's come out of the strategic planning process. There's some ta- uh, groups that are involved. There's some task forces that are involved. We, about five or six months ago now, put together some definitions. And so um, through a combination of conversations with staff and with board members, uh, we'd like to have the first conversation about a permanent district committee. And so that's being outlined here tonight. Um, We've already put into place some of the uh, actual definitions of that, and so there won't be any action taken today, but I wanted to walk through some of the steps to create this. And on the second page that's up on the board, and I'm going to have Terry jump back and forth real quick. 
That's fine. On page two of the document that's attached to the board docs that we have in front of us is an eventual conversation around um, a, a permanent finance and facilities committee. And so the thought is to take the work that's already taking place in these work groups, these task forces, and eventually roll it up into a permanent process where we can engage more of the community and some community in some of the decision making process. So I'll if you don't mind, what I wanted to do is walk through the language on the first page. I'm not going to read every bit of it, but simply to get your input and clarification. This is a, a working conversation. This isn't necessarily a proposal we're going to take amendments on, but uh, I think the first paragraph speaks for itself and it just talks about the value that would be placed on um, putting these in place. But I, I wanted to go to more th to the mechanics of creating these. Uh, and we've looked at districts in our surrounding area and even around the country. So I'm going to read the second paragraph and I'm going to turn to you for your thoughts and input on process here. Each district committee is a standing committee and shall consist of nine members, seven patrons from the Shawnee Mission School District and two Board of Education members. Each district task force is a temporary committee and shall also consist of nine members, seven of which are patrons from the school district and two Board of Education members. There will be an application process where applications to serve on a board committee or a task force will be available on the website and they will be submitted prior to June 30. The idea is that first meetings in July, each of these committees would be um, filled with members or appointment of members. So I'm going to pause there because I wanted to get your thought as fellow board members on the idea of each board member having the opportunity to appoint one person to be represented on the district committee. Yes, Ms. Owsley. Well, so my one thought with that was um, if, if one person appoints someone, doesn't the rest of the board has a confirming vote to confirm their placement on whatever the committee or task force is, um, just so that there's an, an opportunity for everyone to concur. Correct. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the idea would be, and let's just use uh, over the summer, the applications are gathered. Um, board members are going to have a, a, a unique interest in looking at those people who step forward to say, I want to serve on the committees. Again, at the previous paragraph, it talks about making sure we get uh, a diversity that crosses both geographic and makeup of the district. So each of the seven board members would have the opportunity to look at, I'm going to say two dozen, just making up a number of applications that come forward to which you then could select. And, and maybe someone who represents a certain geographic area might want to make sure that someone represents their area versus uh, an at-large member might fill in somewhere else that there's a need. So I think there'll be a, a process that eventually the seven of us would submit the name of the persons that they would like and then yes, it would take board action at a board meeting to confirm that list. Thank you. Other questions about the makeup and I want your input specifically about the way that it's two board members and it's seven patrons from the school district. Yes, Mrs. Mack. How are board members selected? Good question. It's not outlined in here. Typically, it's been the role of the president to do that at the beginning of each year, uh, to do the appointments there. But we can certainly work that into the language as we go. Didn't we change that to a board vote? You're right. <laughs> yes, so that's right. We, we do that for, posi for specific positions. I don't know that we've ever done it to man the, the district committee. We've done it for our, our own board task forces, our internal work, but not the one that engages the rest of the district. Other questions on this process? This part, the first part. Um, I'm just giving thought to the size of this group. And so um, if a district committee, are there some district committees that might lend themselves to larger groups versus a smaller group of nine or seven? Um, 
do we want to have it so it's applicable to all or should it be relevant to the particular committee that's being established? Can I turn that back to you and say, what do you think? <laughs> well, I mean, clearly smaller committees are, tend to be more functional and large committees can become overwhelming. Um, the steering committee was uh, for the development of the strategic planning process was 30, and I know it took a lot of work to facilitate that, but it was a, a bigger group with the intention. Um, the proposed committee here for maybe starting with something like finance and facilities to me does speak to a smaller group. I'm just wondering if we want to add some element of that that size could be addressed or modified given the function of the committee. If we look at our neighbors and some of those committees that they have, I think Blue Valley, for example, has different sizes for some of their committees. Budget smaller, some of their other committees are larger. Okay, and, and to tag onto that, this, this second page came out of a, a conversation about should we have a separate finance committee, separate facilities committee, and so those two were really combined into one so that perhaps a larger group could, could handle those tasks, and that in the future, if each of them really find that they have too much on their plate, that they could then break those out. I'll go back to um, my intention by simply picking this format, it's just one of a district in, in the mm -hmm. country, is to give equal representation to the seven of us at this board so that it, it kind of decentralizes maybe the decision making of those that are sitting in the board president's chair and it gives the opportunity to um, give each person the input to put the, those two people or a person on the committee. Mm -hmm. Yes, Mrs. Mack. I just wanted to, to state um, that I do um, support definitely having district committees and specifically finance and facilities committee. Um, I think this is a great discussion to have. I'm really looking forward to this getting into place. Um, I guess my question, I, I do have another question for you and I apologize. How, if, if we do a finance and facilities committee, what happens to the action team that's currently with the strategic plan that's for, for facilities? How does that interaction take place? Go ahead, yes, talk about uh, They would remain in place. Okay they serve a slightly different role. Okay. Because at the end of the day, all recommendations come back to the Board of Education mm -hmm. for approval, particularly on something like that. If the board wanted to have the Finance and Facilities Review Committee vet the ideas that are coming forward, they, you could do gotcha. that. Okay. But that would be up to you. Okay, thank you. Then it very might be, well, might be a place where we receive applications. Mm -hmm. uh, go ahead. I'm going to go to the next paragraph, okay. yeah, and then we'll continue that. Each Board of Education member is afforded the opportunity to submit one page or name for consideration for each committee and task force. In appointing members of the district committee and task force, the Board of Education shall make every effort to reflect the demographic composition of the Shun Mission School District community whenever possible. District committee members shall serve two years with a three-term or six-year limit. District task force members serve throughout the term of the appointed task. A point, final approval of the committee membership is to be voted on by the full Board of Education. Individual board members may not remove or replace a committee or task force member during the two-year term that the selected committee member or task force member was appointed. The Board of Education may remove a committee or task force member during their two years with cause. If a committee or task force should re, member should resign their position in midterm, the Board of Education would place the member for that remainder of that term. I'll pause and see what your input is. I just had a question yes. about um, the two-year term, three-year term limit. That's a six-year, so speak to that, I guess. 
I'm not into Supreme Court appointments. How's that? Um, so, yeah. So I thought there was. I, I, I figured hopefully there'd be a natural rotation that eventually we'd get new voices mm-hmm. at that table. And again, I'm not stuck on any of these. This was just to give it a template for which we could pick some some time frames. Appreciate the structure. Okay, I'll wrap these up and then we'll move on to the second one, and that is the second page. Each district committee and task force uh, will establish their own meeting schedule. The first meeting of each year, each district committee will meet at least four times a year during the school year, provide a regular report of the work to the Board of Education. All district committees and task force meeting notices will be posted on the SMSD website, and all district committee and task force meetings are open to the public. The agenda and minutes of all district committee and task force meetings will be posted on the SMSD website. The SMSD superintendent or designee will assign up to three staff persons to provide administrative services and support to each district committee or task force. I'll read this last one here. The decisions and recommendations of the district committees or task forces serve as important input to the Shawnee Mission School District Board of Education, but are not to be considered final action and are non-binding. The Shawnee Mission School District Board of Education is charged with all final decision-making responsibilities of the Shawnee Mission School District. The SMSD Board of Education may or add or discontinue a board committee or task force at any time. Anything else that, there that jumps out at you? Yes, Dr. Sinclair. No, it's just, it just allows for those kinds of conversations that you would, that aren't um, part of, say, a typical board meeting. You know, that provides that opportunity for more like that workshop discussion to really hash through critical issues for the district. Yeah. Yes. Part of the hope. Yes, Mrs. Yes. yes. I was wondering if you had, you, it says that, you know, the whatever committee report will come before the board is that an administrative function because there are administrators assigned to that committee or is that a board report or how do you envision that? Doing this on the fly. Okay. Um, but one of the board members that's on that committee would be uh, in the board reports. We would turn to that board member that's on that committee, one of those two board members, in conjunction with the superintendent and the designated staff person. So it might be as simple as what we do when we do our Board, board reports, reports. that okay. kind of report in, and like we're doing with the policy committee, where we're actually getting updates to talk about that there will be something coming before you at this at this time. Um, I don't think it should be replaced with um, the reports that we just received today, for instance, on JumpStart. So it wouldn't that group wouldn't create those reviews that come up. This would be more specific work being Thank asked you. to do. And then the uh, the times that they would meet or how often they would meet would depend on the task force or the committee. This is up to four times a year just to set an expectation. Okay. But again, depending on the subject and the nature of the subject, that probably there's a seasonal, you know, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that's open. Uh, we, there's a balance here, and we've been having conversations. We don't want to have a lot more meetings, you know, for the sake of having meetings, but we want to be able to have meetings that can engage the public, engage these appointed members, as well as the board members um, having a little more knowledge of just the working that's taking place in these subject areas. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, let's flip to the, uh, oh yes, Mrs. Osley. So you said up to four times a year, not base. I'm sorry, I meant that four minimum, if I didn't okay. say that right. Okay. Right, because yeah. like, with like, the bond coming up, I could see that there would be a need for exactly. additional Mm-hmm. meetings for this particular group. Yeah, thank you. I meant a four minimum. Just and again. we're anticipating getting this up and going in time for this committee to be doing work in anticipation of that. Uh, I would hope so. Yeah, okay. Uh, so let's flip the page to the Facilities and Finance Committee. We'll, we'll briefly go through this. Again, no action tonight. This is just to get your input, and we'll kind of tweak as we go. 
Uh, primary purpose of the Facilities and Finance Committee is to review and advise the district and the Board of Education that finances the facilities of the district. Finance and Facilities Committee is to review the operating general designated revenue and capital budgets of the district, including the finances of bond projects. The committee is to also review design concepts and budgets for new buildings, major renovations, and to review make recommendations to the board on construction and facility-related issues. I can see where this group would be going parallel to the work that's already taking place and that they take on some of this work after the, the next bond is up and running would be where they'd be the ones providing input as we go. The um, finan yes, go ahead. The, I'm back on the first paragraph here. Mm -hmm. um, the, that first sentence, to review and advise the district on the board on finances and facilities. I feel like that sentence should end with the clause um, in context with the strategic plan or in relation to the strategic plan because really the work of what we're doing in, I mean it's it's incredibly relevant to the conversation and the discussion and comments that we've had today. How are we using our dollars and how are those dollars being used in relation to the strategic plan and everything that we want to do and provide for our students in this district? And so I think that's a really critical caveat or context to put within the framework of this committee work or any committee work that we great. do. That's great. Thank you. I made yeah. a note of that because I'd like yeah. to incorporate that. Um, the last little pieces, the members of the Finance and Com Facilities Committee will select a committee chairperson and a vice chairperson at their first meeting of the school year. We can t let's pause there. What, what would you as a board feel comfortable with? Would it be a board member guiding the committee meeting? I think the committee choosing their own leadership is a good idea. Uh, it depends okay. on the time and talents of certain individuals. And All right. Yeah. So. so the nine people would make the selection. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, the Finance and Facilities Committee is to provide input and items consideration to the superintendent at least five days prior to a board meeting. And then again, that's to set that expectation of what you're talking about is, you know, we're not bringing things forward for consideration without going through the administrative team to also make sure it fits into the work that is already happening. And secondly, to give us the opportunity to, to look at what the proposal are in, in advance. Um, and then the last, I'll read through the objectives. And again, these can be added to, they could be tweaked. This is just a starting point to review the current financial reports of the SMSD, review and advise on the annual budget and development of the work budget workshop presentations, current and review current capital improvement and construction projects, assist with the development prioritization of an SMSD long-term facilities plan, review and advise the budget and the finances of the projects funded through the bond issuance, and to review and evaluate post-construction and occupancy summaries. These, again, are just a starting point and so the idea would be for us to tweak it work with the staff um, and then also um, eventually that committee we would get their input on, on what would work well so this is not a one and done this is to say what makes sense for these tracks that are already taking place with the strategic plan and how can we build this structure so that some permanence around making sure that that those the finance and the facilities portions are carried out on a permanent basis last thoughts on that Yes, yeah, again, I, I think if we can make sure and kind of articulate very clearly that that's in the context of the strategic plan, these objectives, and I think it, it's just critical that so that the original district task force has those clear commitments and boundaries from the community about this is the direction that we, that we want you to go. We understand the whys and wherefores of the decisions being made, and so we're all kind of moving in the same direction with the same information. I think it really helps us build trust and work together as a community. And I think that strategic, this, the strategic plan will mm -hmm. um, allow for when there's crossover between committees, if you have a question, um, then you can, you know, go to the strategic plan and get 
the vision of what's going to happen. For example, you know, we were talking about you know, um, early childhood education, whether we have that, that's going to directly impact the facilities. Do we have a grant for it? Do we have finances for it, which, which Mrs. Zila was talking about? All those things could have an impact, and so you could go to their strategic plan for guidance. I think that crossover could happen in that area. Critical, yeah. Anyone else? Again, you'll, you'll have other thoughts that come along. Send them this way. Um, I, I turn to the folks who so patiently just sat through that and to say it, it's probably a tedious process, but uh, this is a process we wanted to make sure that takes place at the board table. And we wanted that conversation to be happening. We wanted to show the work that's in progress. It would have just been as easy to say, here's the template. Email me your ideas and changes. I, I didn't want to create new policy that way. I wanted to make sure that the seven of us have the ability to chew on it and we do it right here in front of everyone so that we can begin to see how these groups came together and how we're eventually going to structure these so that in fact we know why we're choosing how many members to have on these committees and how we're going to select those. So thank you for sitting through that with us and we'll do this again at a future meeting. With that consent agenda, um, I'll seek a motion to approve. First of all, does anyone want to take anything off the consent agenda for individual consideration? I'd move approval of the consent agenda. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. And the consent agenda is approved 7-0. That takes us to five, and that's our action items this evening. And we have uh, three action items that we'll take action on today. The first is an election of our delegate to the KESB convention. Uh, the convention takes place the 6th through the 8th, and uh, regions and certain school districts are afforded the opportunity to have a delegate to the convention. There's some pretty important decisions that are made at that, which we were talking about just earlier with Reverend Guy and Dr. Sinclair. Um, I asked who would like to be considered to be a, a delegate for that, and we had a volunteer. Mrs. Zila said she'd be glad to do that. It does require us still to take action at this board meeting. So I will consider this a motion to approve Mrs. Zila to serve as our delegate for the upcoming convention. I'll second that. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. Mm -hmm. That passes 7-0. Did I break some sort of rule by making a motion there? <laughs> Uh, number two number two is 5.02. This is a unique one, and this is the approval of extending the time period for the loan agreement with the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art regarding a piece of art that we have on loan to them. Dr. Fulton? Well, it's very exciting to have uh, uh, a piece of art by Thomas Hart Bitten of this. Uh, well, it's very prestigious, isn't it? And uh, what a great donation was made to the district when this happened. Uh, but when you have a very expensive piece of art like this, you have to make sure it's secure. It's difficult for us to secure that in an uh, affordable way, shall we say. So we're very pleased to continue this agreement with the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art so that they can take care um, and retain custodianship um, of um, that wonderful art piece. It's too bad we can't now just flash it up on the screen, right? It's beautiful. And uh, it's a, it, it was a gift from one of the classes at Shawnee Mission North many years ago. How many folks here have walked down those halls and looked at that piece of art not knowing it was valuable enough to have at our own Nelson Museum? Yeah, they knew. <laughs> I wondered how many students walked by that thing and had no idea. Um, but we have to approve the agreement. The agreement was attached to the agenda. 
So, any I, other? I have a question, really oh, quick. So, oh, do you want to move and then? I have yeah. A question. So moved. moved by Mrs. Zila, seconded Second. by Mrs. Mack, and we have a question. And why was it only through 2021? I'm just curious. Do we was that just is that standard for them? Because it seems I like think it is. I think it's like a two-year. We have to do this every because yes, I don't remember doing this since years. we actually donated it um, to them or no, not donated it. No, it's just custodial. I know, no, no. Yeah. I know. I, I misspoke. Okay. Since we actually entered into the first agreement. Um, I thought it was more than two years ago, three years ago, whatever. So, I don't know. I guess we just have to do these every once in a while, huh? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Extend it. Anyone else? All those in favor of this approval of this contract, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. And that passes 7-0. Our next item for action is um, taking action on the, um, the, the item brought before us around the vaping litigation resolution, and I'll have Mrs. Owsley read the resolution for our consideration. Mr. Stratton. Oh, yes. Um, before Mrs. Yes. Owsley does that, I was really glad to learn about the vaping um, uh, issue, and Ms. Rebeck, thank you for that wonderful presentation. But to avoid any appearance of impropriety, I'm going to recuse myself from the board discussion and the board vote. All right. Thank you. So this is a resolution authorizing pursuit of litigation against the manufacturers, distributors, and realtors of Juul e-cigarettes and vaping devices. Whereas the Centers for Disease Control and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, offices of the Surgeon General, has categorically declared the use of vaping devices unsafe for kids, teens, and young adults. Whereas the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and office of the Surgeon General has declared vaping an epidemic among our youth. Whereas the FDA has established communication questioning Juul's advertising and marketing practices targeting our youth. Whereas the CDC reports that e-cigarette use has increased 78% among high school students and 48% among middle school students from 2017 to 2018. Whereas the U.S. Surgeon General has warned that nicotine exposure during adolescence can impact learning, memory, and attention. Whereas the CDC has declared that e-cigarettes contain harmful and potentially harmful chemicals such as nicotine, heavy metals, ultrafine particles, volatile organic compounds, cancer-causing chemicals, and flavorings like diethylol linked to serious lung disease. Whereas the U.S. Surgeon General has stated the use of nicotine in adolescents has harmful effects on the developing brain and can increase the risk for future addiction. Whereas on October 1st, 2019, the CDC reported 18 deaths and 1,080 lung injury cases associated with vaping and e-cigarette use. Whereas United School District 512, Johnson County, Kansas, has experienced increased incidences of students using Juul and other vaping devices, diverting resources of school nurses, social workers, counselors, administrators, and resource officers. Whereas U.S. D-512 parents and students have expressed extreme difficulties finding appropriate resources for the treatment of youth with nicotine addiction and availability of secession programs to help these youth. Now, therefore, be it resolved by Unified School District Number 512, Johnson County, Kansas, the district authorizes the law firms of Goza and Harnold LLC, Beasley, Allen, Crow, Methven, Ports, and Miles, PC, Wagstaff and Cartmel, LLP, Gacovino, Lake, and Associates, PC, et al., to investigate and initiate litigation and file suit against any necessary parties to recover damages suffered by the district as a result of the manufacture, marketing, and sale of e-cigarette and vaping devices, and to seek all appropriate relief. The district hereby authorizes Superintendent Dr. Mike Fulton to sign a contingency fee agreement with the law firms and all necessary contracts and other documents on behalf of the district. Adopted this 14th day of October 2019 by the Board of Education of Unified School District Number 512, Johnson County, Kansas. 
Second. Thank you. It's been moved and seconded to uh, adopt the resolution and approve it as read. Any other questions? All those in favor of adopting the resolution for the vaping litigation, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. And that passes 6-0. We'll invite Mrs. Mack back to the meeting. Thank you for reading that, Mrs. Elstein. That was long. Yep. <laughs> We're now on to item five, I'm sorry, 6.01, and that's comments from board members. Any board member comments this evening? Yes, Mrs. Zila. Yes, just on the, on the heels of, of voting for this litigation joining this suit, I just want to kind of point out something that we all know, but it should, hopefully will be apparent to all that this is no output of cash on our part to join this lawsuit. And the only time we would allow any funds toward this would be if we receive funds from this lawsuit in who knows how many years that may be that the litigation passes. So just an FYI. Thank you for that clarification. Other board members with board comments tonight? Dr. Sinclair. Um, I just wanted to uh, uh, thank you, Mr. Stratton, for moving forward with the the structures for more community conversation, district-wide conversations, so that um, my belief and my assumption is that we continue to engage in more stakeholder kinds of conversations collectively as a board, that we can continue to build trust and regain in a, a trust of our community. So okay. thank you for that work. Sorry, one other thing here, and that's just to reiterate something that the superintendent already said earlier, talking about the scholarship awards that have gone on at the high schools. I've, I've witnessed three already, and they are just the excitement that runs through these kids to see that letter and to receive those letters from the schools is outstanding. And, you know, I just the chatter that you hear amongst the kids is like, I didn't even consider this school, or I didn't consider any school. And to have them feel like they've been invited and somebody wants them at their school, I think is priceless. And I thank the Education Foundation and Ed Marquez, who have this is their brainchild, and uh, I think it's wonderful, and I think it will only grow from here. And I will bet every parent will opt in next year. Mm -hmm. It was a new program. They, they kind of put it together rapidly, and um, it's going to be an outstanding thing for our kids. It's great. And, uh, and Shawnee Mission Northwest is, is this Thursday? Yes, this the 17th. Week. So that, that'll be exciting. And I really, um, I heard Dr. Fulton um, speak at the Shawnee Chamber along with the superintendent uh, for DeSoto, and Mrs. Zila was there as well, and how you talked about how um, we work together as school districts, and you also talked about uh, Zello and the other things that we're doing as districts so that when students go ahead and they apply for scholarships, et cetera, all that information is already captured um, on that. So I, that was a really great presentation that the two of you did. So, mm -hmm. Anyone else? Yes, Mrs. Osley. So I just have a brief comment. I know we're, um, we're going into the fact-finding process and negotiations, and just to be clear, that's where a third-party neutral will come in and look at the, what's happened so far with the negotiation process. And I'm, uh, I'm thankful that there will be a third-party neutral to review everything, and I'm looking forward to them having an opportunity to issue their findings and to issue recommended recommendations for moving forward. Um, I know this process has been 
very stressful for everyone, and I wish that there was a way to make it move much, much faster. At this point, it is where it's at. It's my understanding it could be until the end of December before we know um, anything. So I appreciate everybody who came tonight to speak. Um, I appreciate that, if nothing else, we've moved far enough from a few years ago where folks would have been afraid to come and speak. And so I'm, I'm thankful for the fact that we are at least in a place where people are comfortable in coming and, and standing up for what they believe in. Um, and hopefully we'll move through it. So thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? I'll seek a motion to move to executive session then. Mm. Okay. No, oh, please, Dr. Mary? Sinclair, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. So moved. Oh, well, I, I have to introduce yes. it first. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, okay, I move we go into executive session to discuss personnel issues pursuant to the non-elected personnel exception under COMA, um, specifically the superintendent's evaluation, and the board will reconvene in the boardroom at... Nine o'clock. Seconded by Dr. Sinclair. Um, there will be no other action taking place after that. That will be in the meeting after that. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Those opposed. That passes 7-0. Thank you for being here. Good night.